So we're talking about how to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think one of the things that is obvious, as I mentioned that, if I'm going to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I must have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me on a permanent basis. In other words, I, I have come to a point in my life, and there is a way to receive the Spirit of God, and I'm going to get to that a little bit later on, but I can't follow something that I don't have inside of me. And I, I think that makes perfect sense, that, that in order to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you've got to have the indwelling presence. You have to come to a point where you have received the Holy Spirit, and there is a way to receive the Holy Spirit. And I'll get to all that a little bit later on. But I, I think w there's a couple things that throws us off and, 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 and as far as this subject is concerned. Number one, there's, there's a lot of people that don't even realize they have a need for the Spirit of God. And that's a shame because we are born into this world incomplete. We're born with a spirit in man. You know, your spirit in man is what makes you you. It's what makes you unique and different from the next person beside you. Uh, every person has a spirit in man that, that, that you have. But that spirit that you have is incomplete in and of itself. That's why a lot of people go through lives, go through their life feeling like something's missing. Well, it is something missing, and what's missing is the fact that you are incomplete. Uh, you were only created halfway there. And your mind, the spirit in man, needs to unite with the spirit of God to make a whole being. And once you receive the spirit of God, things begin to make sense about, because it's revealed through that spirit of God unites with the spirit in man and makes a whole being and things begin to click and you can put things together and, and make sense out of life. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. A lot of people go through their lives, as that saying goes, in quiet desperation. Most men live their lives in quiet desperation. And the reason for that is they don't realize they are incomplete. That the way we all come into the world, every one of us is incomplete. And we were meant to receive another spirit. We have a spirit in man, again, that makes you, you, but we were all created to need another spirit, and that is the spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And it's sort of like a moment of conception. You know, when men, men and women come together in love and a male sperm cell unites with a female ovum, uh, it, it, a new life is struck. Well, when God's spirit unites with your spirit, a new creature in Christ starts to develop. A completeness takes place. Well, I say completeness. It, it's actually the moment of conception. There's a lot of growing we have to do once that takes place. But the, my point I'm trying to make right now is that there is a way to receive the Spirit of God. Now, another thing that keeps a lot of people off 
focus from from ever getting around to receiving the Spirit of God is that they do sense and realize the move of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they sort of assume because there is a movement of the Spirit of God in their lives that they must have the Spirit of God. And they sort of live the rest of their, their lives being content, partly content, with the move, the ebb, the flow of the Spirit touching their lives and and I mean, there, there, there's all kinds of examples of that, of the move of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible. You know, in the Bible, you read statements like, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Okay, this, this still happens today and causes people to do certain things. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet. So here, Gideon, Gideon is, is getting ready to, okay, he blows the trumpet to warn the people, to prepare the people. All right, the Spirit of God caused them to do that. Uh, the Spirit of the, of the Lord began to move him at times. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And so we have this ebb and flow of the Spirit working through this individual, that individual, this person, that person, throughout the entirety of the Bible. It's, it's, it's what I call the move of the Spirit of God. We read about, uh, it says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David David from that day forward. So, so here, the Spirit comes upon David. The Spirit, and, and, and then we read another statement, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So here was Saul, he had the Spirit, the, the move of the Spirit was upon, it, upon him, but then it departs. And that's something, obviously, you don't want. You want to have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. You don't want it just to move here, there, and yonder, and then leave you. You want to have it dwelling inside of you. And again, there is a way to receive the Spirit of God. Uh, another scripture says, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his words was in my my tongue. So often, this move of the Spirit causes people to say certain things at a certain moment, at a certain time. Encouragement, uh, building other people are up. You know, sometimes you sense that a person is down and out, and and God put this, the move of the Spirit puts just the right thing to say to that person. Okay, that happens. It happens all the time. Uh, another scripture and Ezekiel says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he sent me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of dry bones. So here is actually a, a vision that came about from the move of the spirit of God. He was carried away uh, into a valley of, of, of dry bones, and, and there was a message there. There was an understanding that Ezekiel got from this vision. So that can happen from the move of the spirit of God. And then we have it in the New Testament where it says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So, so what I want to point out here is, often the move of the Spirit of God in people's lives brings about a liberty for other people. There, the Spirit has moved people down through generations to start a ministry, build a ministry, that helps liberate other people. 
It might be a ministry about addiction, overcoming addiction, overcoming the addiction to pornography, overcome an AA meeting, alcohol, you know, overcoming that addiction. The move of the Spirit came upon people, comes upon people, to cause them to bring about a ministry of liberty for other people. I mean, here it is. The Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. All kinds of helps. Uh, 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 the Spirit may move a person to to uh, to create, you know, I mean, it's endless what, what God can do. I mean, to to help bring about, to alleviate the pain and suffering of other people, to feed the hungry, to to help the poor, to, uh, I mean, ministries go on and on and on. And what we got to understand is it is the Spirit of God behind. It is the move of the Spirit of God that causes people to do these things. And it's good, and it brings liberty to people. It brings healing to people. In Isaiah 40 and verse 13, it says, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or, or being his counselor, has taught him? What that is saying is the spirit of uh, the move of the spirit moves where where it wills. It works with people of God's choosing, and you don't have any control. I mean, it's not you in control of it. It is God's spirit working through individuals here, there, yonder to bring about a ministry of liberty, to help, to heal, to strengthen, to correct, whatever it may be. That move of the Spirit is God's working, you know, and he works with who he wants to work with, and he does what he wants to do with other people. You know, and I'm not saying any of these ministries are perfect by a long shot because the move of the Spirit works with, works with flawed human beings. So, no, uh, they're not perfect, but what what the telltale sign is if if God's spirit is working through individuals is that liberty they set people free from their sins their addictions their problems their you know screwed up life or whatever their dysfunctional lives it brings liberty to these people that that's the work of the spirit of God the move of the spirit of God now what I want to say, though, is there is a way to receive the Spirit of God that is presented in the New Testament, that God's Spirit became available on the day of Pentecost for a person to go beyond just, in other words, that there was something a person could do to actually receive the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. Instead of just having it impact your life for a given time and then go and move somewhere else, that there was a way to actually receive that spirit. And that's what we want. That's what we all want. So let's go into how do you actually receive the spirit of God. So in Acts 1 and verse 4, it says, now this is after the crucifixion of Jesus. This was, you know, after he had paid the price for man's sin and the ability to be forgiven of our sins and the ability to conquer and overcome our sins. And and obviously, in order to do that, it's going to take more than just the move of the Spirit upon your life. You're going to have to have 
the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in your life. You're going to have to receive the Spirit of God. That incomplete man that we are all born into the world, you know, that's how we come into the world, incomplete. And that's the reason we we are always falling short and doing stupid things and making mistakes. That incomplete man can receive the Spirit of God. And a wholeness can take place. And from that point, you can grow, overcome, quit doing the things that are destroying your life. And it's all possible because you now have access to the Spirit of God. So in Acts 1 and verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they, they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father which says he, you have heard of me. Now, what was that promise from the Father? Well, the promise was that they were going to be able to go beyond just the move of the Spirit working in their lives. Now they were going to go be able to receive the Spirit of God. That was the promise. Acts 1 and verse 5, continuing on, it says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. So there is a connection here with receiving the Spirit of God with baptism, and we'll go on into this deeper now. In Acts 2 and verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, they knew something big was about to take place. They had been told to wait there in Jerusalem until this day came. And they were expecting something, I think, Big, but I, it's doubtful they knew exactly what was about to take place. But they were going to be given a foretaste of what it means to receive the Spirit of God. In Acts 2 and verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. So this is a physical manifestation of the Spirit of God. You know, yes, moving, and uh, but but notice what else happens here. And they uh, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now uh, this is interesting. It says they were filled with. No longer is this just a move of the Holy Spirit working here, there, and yonder with individuals and then, you know, causing one person to do one thing and then leaving that person and going and causing another person to do something, a ministry of, of helps and to help liberate people, whatever. You know, it, now we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says they begin to speak with other languages or dialect as the Spirit gave them utterance. And if if you drop down verse 7, Acts 2 and verse 7, you can clearly understand the gift here of what happened. It says, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these that which speak Galilean, Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? So the ability... You know, this is not, and so many people get confused in this area, this is not a car, carnival sideshow where people are speaking in gibberish and making a complete fool of themselves. No. Uh, no gift of the Spirit is self-serving. So 
what what happened is when the spirit when they were full of the spirit of God, they began to they had been told to go ye therefore into all the world. Now, a little problem uh, was uh, how are we going to communicate to other people? And all of a sudden, because they are full of the spirit of God, they are able to communicate in different languages. And which which make which breaks down the communication barrier that they had before. So this is just you know the meaning behind the gift is they were told to go ye therefore into all the world and now they had the power to do it is the point. They now had the power and the ability to do this. So what we get from this is that if you are full of the Spirit of God, that you're going to have abilities that you never had before. You're going to have understanding that you never had before. Uh, what we see here is that they were filled with the Spirit of God, and it begins to accomplish God's will in their lives. You know, God has a will, and God works through human beings. Just in and of ourselves, without the Spirit of God, we are really of, of very little value I mean, as far as doing what God wants us to do. Now, again, you can have the move of the Spirit where a Spirit comes upon people and causes them to do certain things. But what we're talking about now is being filled with the Spirit of God. We're talking about your incomplete mind being made complete because God's Spirit unites with your spirit and a new creature in Christ starts to develop and there are abilities that you now have that you never had before. Okay, well, let's continue on. In Acts 2 and verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, now heard what? Well, Peter had preached a powerful, convicting message. Uh, and it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You know, this is so easily overlooked that in order to receive the Spirit of God, to be full of the Spirit of God, to come to a point where you actually receive the Spirit of God, you're going to have to hear a message. I mean, you're going to have to hear a message where you come to the point where you say, what must I do? You know, I think about the woman caught in the act of adultery, and for some reason they didn't bring the man. It, I, I thought it took two to do that, but they bring the woman, and they say that, you know, they're tr trying to tempt Jesus, and they said, look, this woman was caught in the act, the very act of adultery, and you know the story. Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee, but then he says something that is absolutely fascinating. He said, go and sin no more, and I mean, obviously, she was living a lifestyle of sin, adultery, whatever. Okay, and Jesus tells her the burning question in her mind, you know, what must I do? You see, when you're convicted of wrongdoing, the next answer and the next question is, what must I do? You see, and so real conversion, real evangelism is bringing a person to the point where they say, what must I do? And if you're not brought to that point, it's not real evangelism, you know, and it, it's a deception that goes on in our religious arena all the time because people can, you know, you can have soup kitchen for, for the poor, you can be feeding the poor, you can be helping people, you can have movie night and, and all the stuff that churches do. But if you don't bring people to that point 
where they say, what must I do? It's really not preaching the gospel. The gospel involves a conviction, a conviction of sin. What is sin? What's the, it's 1 John 3, 4 says sin is the transgression of God's law. It's the breaking of the Ten Commandments. That's what sin is. So you bring a person to a point where they're convicted. And, and, and again, this is a work of the move of the Spirit of God in a person's life. Okay, God's Spirit moves them to come to a conviction. But when they come to that conviction and say, what must I do? The next step is to receive the Spirit of God. So how do you do that? Well, okay, here's how. Here they are. They heard the message. They're convicted in the heart, and they say, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So this gift of being full of the Spirit, being receiving the Spirit, is a promise. It's a promise for all, or at least as many, as the Lord our God shall call. It does take a calling. I mean, it does take God, first of all, God's Spirit moving in your life, bringing you to a point of repentance, bringing you to a point where you say, what must I do? And then your decision is to go down in the waters of baptism to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to repent of your sins. And I think, you know, this may be an oversight, but I think it's a little bit hard to understand. You know, a lot of people were forced into baptism. At age 10, at age 12, you know, children really don't know what they're doing at age 10 and 12 when it comes. They don't know the definition of sin. You can't repent of your sins, you know, before hormones even kick in. I mean, you don't even know what temptation is until hormones kick in. And so, you can't, you know, I think of Jesus, the example of Jesus. He was, you know, 33 and uh, 30 years old when he was baptized. So, the idea of infant baptism or trying to to now I know it's all meant parents mean well they they think if I can just get my child under the waters of baptism everything will be okay but I'm saying that child of age 10 or 12 must come to a point where they understand what must I do I am a sinner I am a dirty rotten sinner I'm not fit to be scraped off the back of the toilet and flushed down the toilet. You know, that's what I am. I am a worm. I am less than, you know, you got to come to that. And then you got to come to a point where you say, what must I do? What you must do is repent of your sins, accept Christ as your personal Savior, and then go down in the waters of baptism. So what is baptism? Well, it's a watery grave. It's not sprinkling. You know, it's total immersion into a body of water. And what it represents is a burial, the burial of the old man. I mean, I mean, after all, don't you want to, uh, you know, get rid of that, (laughs) that person that, that has lived a life of sin and addiction and the things that you know are destroying your life. 
all the things that that all the you know things that are destroying your life you want to get rid of that man and you want to bury him okay so that's what baptism represents and then you come up out of that water a new person okay a new person now what happens next at this moment after you come up out of the waters of baptism i want to show you from scripture what happens next now what we have in our church is when a person comes out of the waters of baptism we gather around and and of course if it's just you know myself or one minister there you know that is enough i believe but what i do is i lay my hands on their head and i i say something like father this person stands before you clean forgiven of all their sins the angels in heaven are rejoicing over one sinner that has repented and now, Father, I ask you to grant, to give this person your Holy Spirit. And I truly believe that is the moment of conception. I talked earlier about a moment of conception. We're all familiar with that. If, you know, if you're married or whatever and you've brought children into the world, well, that is the moment of conception when God's Spirit unites with your spirit and a new creature in Christ starts to develop. It's an amazing concept. It really is. Now, now, what is this laying on of hands? Well, there's a verse that in Acts 8 and verse 14 that I think maybe is applicable to, to, to a lot of people. That And it's easy to overlook this. It says, now, when the apostles, this is Acts 8 and verse 14, were at Jerusalem and heard that Samaria uh, Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Then laid thee their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So, this is why I think this, this laying on of hands is important. It's part of the ceremony that we go through at, at, at our church uh, when a person is baptized. Because I really believe that there's probably a lot of people that fit into that category where, you know, they've gone through a certain part of, of what they need to do, what they should do. They, they've, they may be uh, accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Maybe they were baptized and yet they still feel something is missing. And here were people who seems they, they had gone through the uh, motion here. They actually prayed for them that they might receive the Spirit of God, but it was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, then laid thee their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So well, what I'm saying is, is if the Bible tells you to do something a certain way, it's probably a reason that, that it tells you to do something a certain way. And I don't think we should just go through our lives assuming, okay, I, I, I think I have the Spirit of God. I hope I have the Spirit of God. You, you want to make sure that it's not just the move of the Spirit of God, but that you actually receive the Spirit of God. And what I'm saying is there is an absolute way for you to do that. The Bible reveals that there is a way to receive the Spirit of God. Now in Acts 5.32, it says, We are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. Now this is an interesting 
thing to to actually realize that God gives his spirit to them that obey him. And I, and I might add, to those that are willing to obey him. It, it's not that you're some perfect or you've decided I'm going to be perfect and therefore I'm going to fulfill this. No, you're a, you have a willingness to obey God, but that willingness determines whom God gives his spirit to. Now, I think this is critical in our religious society because, I mean, there there's a no-law theology out there that says just believe, just accept, just invite Jesus into your heart. There's nothing you've got to do. There's nothing you must do. Just, just you know, and, and yet this verse says, no, 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 no. God gives his Holy Spirit to them that obey him or at least have has a willingness to surrender to God. And that, that, that should go without saying that God's not going to give his spirit to a pack of rebels. God's not going to give his spirit to a person that says, you know, I want a no-law theology. I just want to believe that there's nothing I must do. Just believe. Just, just, you know, if you want that, my advice is go to church and you'll hear it. But you're not going to receive the spirit of God is what I'm saying. Because God gives his spirit to them that obey him. Now, that may sound harsh to you. You, you know, you, you you may say, well, you're talking about works. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> obedience, I mean, uh, if you want to call it a work, I guess you can. It's really for your own good. You, I mean, let, let, let me, I, I don't know why people get on this, tent, ban, this bandwagon about works, you know. Uh, it, it's really crazy. I mean, if I ask you, are you faithful to your wife? Hopefully you are, and, and you would. But you see, you're keeping the seventh commandment: "Thou shalt not commit adultery." If you're faithful to your wife, now do you feel like you've earned something because you're faithful? To, no, you're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. So obedience is is just the right thing to do. You know, it, it it's what makes your life work. You know, we want to talk about works. Let's talk about what makes your life work. Uh, what makes your life work is obedience to God's ten commandments. That's what makes your life work. Again, God gives his spirit to them that obey him. And there, there really is no getting around this. You know, now I, you can be religious. You can be, go to church six days a week and twice on Sunday. But if you've got a no-law theology running through your pea brain mind, you're not going to receive the spirit of God. You're just, just, God's not going to grant that. God does not grant his spirit to rebels. Hebrews 5 and verse 9 says, and being made perfect, he became, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Okay, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about eternal salvation. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And you see, that's what the baptism is all about. It, it's about the burial of, of an old man that never obeyed God, or at least with whatever effort he had with his incomplete mind, only having his spirit in man, surely could not obey God. It's about the burial of that old man that couldn't obey God. And it's about a new man that comes up out of the grave, the watery grave of baptism. And then all of a sudden, through this process of laying on of hands, receives the spirit of God so that he can start the process of doing what God says to do, of obeying him. Yeah, that's what it's all about. 
I don't say you know you don't you don't do this overnight. It's a new creature in Christ that starts to develop. Just like you know when 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 a woman becomes impregnated, th- there's a, a period you know nine months of 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 this child developing inside the mother's womb. It, it, there's a period of time that goes by before the child is born into the world. Well, the Christian is the same way. There's a developmental stage, basically your lifetime, uh, where you overcome. And yeah, you're going to fall flat on your face from time to time. You're going to trip up. You're going to yield to temptation. But we have a high priest now who sits at the right hand of God ready to, to, to forgive us. The deliverance from sin is a, it's a process. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that is working in your life. The work of the Holy Spirit is that you be liberated. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now we're talking about a personal liberty that you can overcome and be free from the things that are destroying your life. I mean, let's face reality. If if when Christ returns and you're no different than you are now, I mean, what good are you? I mean, if you're just the same old person you've always been, only you think you're saved, you know, what what good is that? Imagine the kingdom of, of God. Once Christ returns, imagine the kingdom of God with the same old people, the same old addictions, the same old sin, the same old problems. Well, it would be a world no, no different than what we have now. Sin is the problem, don't you understand? True salvation is being liberated from sin, overcoming sin. So just like the mother, you know, after nine months, this child, this child inside of her develops into a mature human being with all the, you know, the toes, the fingers, the everything, and then is born into the world. The birthing process is born into the world. Well, when Christ returns, we're going to be born. Some people refer to it as born again, but born into the family of God. And we're going to be different when that takes place. It's going to be a literal new birth for us where we're quite different when that time comes and, and uh, free from, totally free from our bondage of the flesh. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. The flesh that wears out, gets old, gets ugly and all that stuff. Totally liberated from that. A new body. Yeah. Born into the family of God. So it's all a process. You know, you don't want to put that process off forever. The illusion that, uh, well, I'll, I'll wait till I kick the bucket and on, on death row and give my heart to the Lord. That's not what God is after. God is after a process where, that, and it takes time, is what I want you to understand. It takes time where, where once you go down into to the waters of baptism, once you receive the Spirit of God, once that takes place, then the process, the real process of conversion starts then. And you're not changed really very little just because. That old, that old flesh is not changed just because you now have, it's true, you now have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. But it's going to take some time. There's some things God has to teach us about ourselves. And, you know. You don't go from serving a 40-year addiction to sin to quitting that immediately just because you're baptized. Now, I know God can take away addictions. 
And I've heard of that. I've heard of people being delivered from a smoking addiction immediately at baptism. That's good. Praise the, praise God for that. But for the most part, there are things God wants us to learn about ourselves and about the sins that we have served. Because after all, you're going to be helping other people. You're going to help liberate other people. And if you have no knowledge or wisdom of how that works, you're not very valuable to God. So there's a learning curve. There's a learning process once you receive the Spirit of God that God wants us to go through. Just like the child inside the mother's womb, there's a developmental stage. Well, there's a developmental stage for the Christian once you receive the Spirit of God. God starts chipping away, working on you, changing you. Yeah, yeah, it's a process. It's really what I call the salvation room process, that when you are baptized, you enter into a room called the salvation room process. And it is a process. It's, uh, the Bible refers to it as an operation. That's a, good, that's a good term to use. It's literally an operation where God works on you. So what I'm saying is you don't want to put that off forever. You know, you don't want to, well, I'll just take care of that at, at the last minute. No, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. You want to present value to God. You want to have something, and, and, and it is painful. It's not the most pleasant process to go through. Conversion, and it takes receiving the Spirit of God to go through conversion, real conversion. I mean, real conversion is you're going to change the man in the mirror. And you have no ability to do this on your own. Well, yeah, I shouldn't say that. There are some people by willpower have changed certain things about their behavior. But what you need is the Spirit of God because you're incomplete. And once you receive the Spirit of God, God's Spirit unites with your spirit. A, a real new life begins. Now, I'm at the end of this program, and I have um, literature on how to receive the Spirit of God. I have literature on should you be baptized. I have literature on audio programs on baptism counseling, what you should have known before being baptized. Uh, I've had people who really came to me and really thought their baptism was, was valid, but they'd never had the laying on of hands. And so actually did that where I laid my hands on their head and and said something like, you know, this person was baptized a long time ago and they believed that 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 it was true repentance, but they never had this done. And and now I ask you to give this person his Holy Spirit. So I've had people do that also. But what I'm saying is this is something you want to take serious. Because this 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 is what life is all about. This is what God is doing. You know, if if you want to get into a relationship with God, you got to be on the right side of the fence. You got to be a part of what he's doing. And I've just explained to you what God is doing through this program on baptism and how to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This, this is what God is doing. This is his agenda. This is his purpose. This is what God is doing through mankind. And everything else is pretty much irrelevant you know i mean it really is all the things we pursue all the things that we think we want that that we we're trying to achieve we're trying to do none of it even makes any sense unless you have the holy spirit of god dwelling inside of you so i hope this has helped i hope you understand that there is such a thing as the move of the holy spirit 
that works through individual. And it may be working through you right now. But in addition to that, there is a way to receive the Spirit of God. Order that material, and I'll send it to you free of charge. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.